Let's go into our passage today, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. We've been on a series focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. We finished the Beatitudes, all the ways that Jesus says that we are blessed because we are in the kingdom of God and because we belong to him. And now Jesus goes into some new material here. And uh, this is a very simple sermon, and my hope is that uh, in its simplicity, God will really uh, speak to us very profoundly. Jesus begins, begins to give the metaphors of salt and light. We've all heard of this to one degree or another, but hear the word of the Lord. It says, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, the simplicity of these metaphors can often just go right over our heads. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us revelation by the Spirit that these metaphors of salt and light would be fresh to us and that we would see what we are called to be in this world as we follow you. Lord, I pray you would open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts. May we receive every good gift you have for us this day. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. One of the things I love about God is that God sees more in us than we often see in ourselves. God sees more in you than you often see in yourself. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. When you look at the stories in the Bible and you see the people who God chose, they don't look like much, and yet over and over again, God would see something in them and would call them out into being the kind of people he wanted them to be. One of the reasons I found the courage to preach and to pursue pastoring even at a young age of 19 years old was because God, through people, would see something in me and they would call it out of me. When I became a Christian at 19 years old, I had a, a little bit of a sense that I was called to preach. I wasn't sure about it, but I sensed that God was calling me to pastor, I thought. I sensed God was calling me to preach, and yet I was really unsure about it. But for the first six months that I became a Christian, after becoming a Christian, I would go to about six different churches with a youth group that I belonged to. And at these six different churches with six different pastors, these pastors at different times over the course of six months would see me in the crowd and see other people in the crowd as well. And they would just ask the person in good charismatic Pentecostal form to just stand up in the middle of the congregation. There would be about 50 to 75 people and they would go, you person, could you stand up? God has a word for you. And every time for six months, six different pastors in six different locations, I would be in the back and the person would say, could you stand up? Young man with the blue shirt and I'd stand up and he said, God's hand is on you. He's calling you to preach. He's calling you to pastor. You can sit down. I sit down, you know. 
I go to a different church in a different borough and a different pastor would get up and say, young man, you in the white shirt, could you stand up? And I go, oh, no, I have white on. Stand up. God's hand is on you. He's calling you to preach. Do it in the spirit of the Lord. You can sit down. I sit back down. Then for three other, four other times, this is what happened. People would see something in me that I often couldn't see in myself and they would call it out and say, follow God. Trust God. This is who you are. This is what you're called to be. What I love about how Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus begins in that same way, calling out something in his disciples that they often could not see in their own eyes. He affirms them at the beginning of the sermon. He recognizes and reveals their potential, their gifts, their power. He reveals to them their immense purpose, and he does it very simply by calling them salt and light. Now, if I called you randomly, if I called a random person in the street, hey, you're like salt or you're light, they go, ah, thanks, it really doesn't mean much. But in that day, when someone would be recognized as salt and light, it was, an empower- it was a powerful and valuable thing to say. Jesus pulls out of them their potential. He pulls out of them their call and says, you are salt You are light. Now, it's important to see that in verse 13 and in verse 14, when Jesus says, you are, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, those words, you are, are not to be seen individualistically. Those are are words of, of community. It's important to know that because Jesus says, you, you guys together are the salt of the earth. You guys together are the light of the world. Those who have been gathered to me, this community, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so this verse is not to be seen in individualistic kind of ways. It's about we are gathered as a community and God names us in this way. And so Jesus, if we could translate it, he would say, you folks are the salt of the earth. You folks are the light of the world. Where if Jesus was from the south, he'd say, y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. Where if Jesus was from Jersey, he'd say, you guys are the salt of the earth. You guys are the lights of the world. In other words, Jesus, he's, he's pulling something out of them that they could not see in their own eyes. And what I love about this is Jesus has just called them to himself. He hasn't been with them long. He's been with them maybe a day or two, maybe a week or so. And yet even at the beginning of their time with him, Jesus affirms them and he confers value on them. He doesn't say, you will be salt and light when I'm done with you. doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you have salt and light. He doesn't say, you must be salt and light. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He calls out the best in his disciples before they have demonstrated anything, before they heal anyone, before they preach anything, before they do any good deed. He says, you are light, you are salt. This is the God who affirms us, who calls out the very best out of us. And God looks at you today and he affirms you today. He says, you are salt, you are light. He says, you have much more to offer than you think because you are much more valuable than you can imagine. And I want you to hold on to that because we often come into church on Sunday morning not believing that about ourselves. 
And we need to be reminded of what God says about you, what God says about us. We often can only see our mistakes and our failures, and yet Jesus looks at each and every one of you today, those of you watching online, he says you have much more to offer than you think because you are much more valuable than you can imagine. Some of you might be out of work and looking for a job and your sense of worth is diminished. I don't have much to offer. And yet Jesus looks at you and says, you have much more to offer than you think because you are much more valuable than you can imagine. And some of you might be single and, and romantic relationships have not been something that, that you've been able to experience and enjoy and your sense of value is diminished. Who am I? No one loves me. And Jesus looks right at you and says, you are much more than you think because you are more valuable than you can ever imagine. You might not have the accolades of society, the achievements of society, the possessions of society, and yet Jesus looks at you and says, you are much more than you think because you are much more valuable than you can imagine. And some of you might be overwhelmed by life and wondering, how in the world am I going to get through? Jesus looks at you today and says, you are much more than you think because... You are much more valuable than you can imagine. Jesus is talking to ordinary people under the shadow of the Roman Empire. These surprising words. And to many people, these disciples who he gathered to himself are the religious version of the bad news bears. They have nothing to offer. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, you are salt. You are light. He affirms them and pulls out of them that which they didn't know they had in them. Now, a few years ago, there was a movie that came out uh, called The Help. And it was a movie set during the civil rights movement and focused on two black maids and their experience as the help in a racially charged society. And one of the more, uh, in one of the more memorable moments of the movie, the main character, a woman by the name of Abilene, she, uh, she said the following words to a, a, a four-year-old white child who she cared for every day. She would say, you is kind. You is smart. You is important. And she'd say that over and over every single day. This little girl's mother would not treat her right. She'd treat her badly. But every day she would hear these words of affirmation. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. Every day this little girl would get a dose of affirmation. And here Jesus is at the beginning of his sermon looking at the, his disciples saying to them, You is salt. You is light. You is important. And we need to be reminded of that often because life has a way of making us feel like we don't matter. Pain has a way of making us feel that we are worth little. And yet Jesus says, you are salt, you are light. Now I want to explore some of these things, just salt and light. Because when Jesus uses these words, these are very important words for us. And important words for the disciples at that time. In Jesus' time, salt was a very valuable commodity because it was used to preserve food and give it flavor. There's a book I was reading called uh, Salt, A World History. And it's a whole book on salt. 
And I got it for one line. I read the book and I have like one line out of it I can use in my sermon, you know. And, and, and one of the things in, in, that the Romans would say is uh, nothing is more useful than sun and salt. Nil utilis sole et sale. I don't know if anyone's Latin here. That just sounds pretty good right there. But uh, nothing is more useful than sun and salt. And Jesus uses this for many reasons because it is an important metaphor. Here's just two quick metaphors or two reasons why he uses salt. He says they're the salt of the earth because salt gives flavor. Salt seasons. Salt makes things uh, a, a pinch of salt, don't overdo it. Salt makes things more enjoyable. And Jesus says, your very presence is to draw out the best in others. Your very presence flavors the environment. In a world that desperately needs to be flavored and seasoned, Christians, when we bring the flavor of hope and of peace and the seasoning of joy, we bring out of the world that which is possible. We season the world with our joy and our peace and our hope. Jesus says, you are the seasoning that the world needs and desperately longs for. But in addition to just being something that flavors, salt preserves. And Jesus' time, they didn't have refrigerators and freezers and all that. And so salt was used to preserve food. And if they wanted something to last more than a day, you better put salt on it to preserve it, to protect the goodness of things, to make it last. Because without salt, the food would decay. The food would be corrupted. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. In other words, you are that which helps the world be preserved amidst the decay and corruption that we experience. Our very presence is about preserving the world. Jesus says, that's the role that you play. Wherever there's decay, wherever there is corruption, God says, I send you there to preserve the corruption, to preserve the places that are subject to decay and preserve the places that are subject to corruption. And so wherever there is decay, Jesus says, work against it, you are Saul. Wherever there's racism, Jesus says, work against it, you are salt. Wherever there is poverty, Jesus says, work against it, you are salt. Wherever there is gossip, Jesus says, work against it, you are the salt of the earth. You are responsible to, to work against the decay and work against the corruption that our world experiences. Jesus says, he tells his disciples, listen, you guys are much more valuable than you think. You have much more power than you think. You have much more authority than you think. You have an ability to transform any space you're in. Why? Because you belong to me and I send you there. Some of you wonder, why did God send me to this job that's filled with decay? I got a supervisor, last name is Decay. I, I mean, just, just terrible. Why did God send me here? Because you're salt. Because you are the salt of the earth. Because you are there to preserve the areas and the people and the environment wherever Decay wants to take over. Your very presence is to bring out the best in the world. You are the salt of the earth. But Jesus doesn't stop there. 
If that wasn't enough, people who were hearing Jesus say you were the salt of the earth, the disciples would have said, wow, thanks, that's really high praise. I appreciate the affirmation, thank you. I'll go about about my day. Jesus said, no, 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 I got another metaphor for you. You're more than just salt. He then says, you are the light of the world. Of the world. Not not, not, not of like, you're just your house. Not, Not just of your block. You are the light of the world. And Jesus wants to let them know how deep these metaphors go in them. Again, he doesn't say, when I'm done with you, you're going to be light. He doesn't say you have light. He says, you are light. It's in you. Because you belong to me, because you've trusted in me, my light has become your light. You are the light of the world. Now, when the disciples would hear this, this would be a theme that comes up over and over in the Old Testament, the theme of light. In Isaiah, we hear passages like this over and over. I will make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus says to his disciples, and he looks at us in this room and says, you are that light. You have much more power than you think to to transform the world around you, to bear witness to my kingdom around you. You are the light of the world. And Jesus is known as the light of the world in John 7, but here in Matthew 5, he says, you are the light. In other words, when you belong to me, my light becomes yours. And the function of light is to scatter darkness. Light scatters darkness. Light shines, it helps us see, it makes things clear, it makes things visible. It reveals things that would otherwise remain hidden. And Jesus says, you are to be light. There are people around you that are walking in darkness. And I've called you to be light so that they could see me. I've called you to bear witness to the kingdom of God. You are the light of the world. People can find their way to me because I've sent you there. You are the light of the world. And our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to help people find their way to God by being light. Now, up to this point, everything is wonderful. Everything's wonderful. Jesus affirms them. He blesses them. He says, you are salt. You are light. You're valuable. But right after Jesus tells them he's salt and after he tells them that they are light, he gives them a warning. And we better take heed to Jesus' warnings and not just his blessings. We better take note of Jesus' where he speaks words that we are in danger and not just words of affirmation. It's easy for us to just hear the words of blessing. We just want the words of blessing. But we better incline ourselves to the warnings that Jesus gives. And Jesus gives two dangers and two warnings right in this small passage here. Right in this short passage. Jesus says, you are salt, but be careful that you don't lose your ability to flavor. This is what he says. He said, if salt loses taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He says, be careful not to lose your saltiness. Now you may ask, how how does one lose their saltiness? The answer is very simple. We, We lose our saltiness when we fail to be distinct from the world. 
Whenever we fail to be distinct from the world, we lose our saltiness. In other words, Jesus is saying, here's the danger. Be your salt, but be careful that you don't lose your identity. This is what Jesus is warning us about. If they belong to him, Jesus says, if you belong to me, you are called to be different than the world. And what makes us different from the world is what Jesus has already said in the Beatitudes. When you, you're different, what makes us salty, different people is that we are poor in spirit, is that we know how to mourn, that we are meek, that we hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we are merciful, that we are pure in heart, that we are peacemakers. Jesus says, without you living according to this way, you lose your saltiness. And the greatest danger for Christians in every generation is this. Are we distinguishable from the world? This is the greatest danger of Christians in every generation. You cannot tell Christians from non-Christians apart. And here we are. This is one of the greatest dangers of every generation. Are we different than the world? Do we love differently than the world? Do we embody values that are different than the world? And the greatest danger is this. Christians are not distinguishable from the world. Now, throughout uh, uh, history, people have tried to take Jesus' words about being different, and they have tried to be very different from the world in all aspects of life. And I think about people who, uh, whether they're the Amish community or people who dress differently than the world, people have taken Jesus' words very seriously. I think about when I would go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, or Lancaster, however you call it, uh, and I would go to see, I would go to Dutch Wonderland, a wonderful little play area. It's like Six Flags Junior, you know? It's just like little Six Flags, you know? Just, and I would go there, and I would see the Amish people. And as a young kid, 11 years old, 12 years old, I would see these folks, and i go, oh, they're different. They're different. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what they believed. I didn't know what they ate. But I just said, oh, these folks are different. There's something different about them. And they took Jesus' words seriously about being a different kind of community. But the reality is, while all of that has its place, what makes us different is not simply how we dress, but the values we embody and the love that we express. This is what was modeled in the early church just a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection. In one account, there was a philosopher who wrote this about Christians in his day. He said, they walk in all humility and kindness and falsehood is not found among them and they love one another. They despise not the widow and grieve not the orphan. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if he were their own brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the spirit of God. And if there is any among them, them a man that is needy and poor, and they have not the abundance of necessaries, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. And the people around them would say of these Christians, look how they love one another. Look at their love for one another. That we are distinct when we embody a different value system and we express the love that the world can, can never express because our lives are rooted in God. We are different. 
And so Jesus says, here's the danger. The danger is be careful you don't lose your identity. That your first identity is that you are a follower of me. That you, are, you live according to a different set of values, a different way of loving. He says that about salt. Don't lose your saltiness. But then he says this about light. He says the danger of being called light that's before us and the warning is Jesus says, don't hide your light. Another way of saying it is, don't, we, we don't engage the darkness. This is the danger and the warning. Jesus says, you're light, but the purpose of light is to scatter darkness. And if you are nowhere near darkness, how can you truly be light? What Christians do is we take our flashlight and we go out in the middle of the day and light our flashlight. We avoid all kinds of darkness, all kinds of people who are associated with darkness, all kinds of things related to, this is where the holiness church gets it wrong, where we're different, absolutely, but we're so different in a way that we, there's no association with anyone who resembles any kind of darkness. And yet when you look at Jesus, he was always in dark places. He was always hanging around people who were overcome with dark. That's why he was there, to scatter the darkness. And we get so nervous. If I go to the darkness, I'm going to be contaminated by the darkness. But you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have the word of God at your disposal, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. You got it all. Don't be afraid of darkness. And so what happens is, this is what happens with the church. We, we talk about being light. We talk about having the armor of God. And, and we dress up for the battle. But don't go into the darkness. And so if anyone would see, could you imagine someone, they're all dressed up. Where are you going? I'm not, I'm just here. I'm just, I'm just, you got all that armor on. Where are you going? No, 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 I'm, I'm just, I'm just hanging out here. There's, there's no battle out there. No, no, that's a battle, but I'm going to hang out right here. I got the armor on. And then what begins to happen with Christians is, is because we're not engaging darkness, we take our swords out and we start fighting each other. <laughs> well, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't believe in the Holy Spirit, you know. Well, I believe in evangelism. I don't believe in evangelism, you know. And we end up fighting each other. And yet Jesus says, go into darkness. Jesus gives a very obvious image. He says, listen, if you cover the light, it's not going to work. Light is not meant to be hid under a bushel. You, you, are, you, you exist to go into dark places. Now, notice what Jesus says later in John 17. He says, he says Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, light requires engagement. It requires proximity. And we often lose our way and forget why we follow Jesus in the first place. We follow Jesus to be light so that those in darkness can find their way to him. Now, the danger of us with light is we, we, we cover it. But here's another danger that Jesus doesn't say, but I, I, I saw recently. My, my two children got a, a hold of a flashlight last month or so. And the first thing that they did was they put the flashlight in the sibling's eye, just, 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 just in their eye. 
I don't know why children do this. They got a flashlight and ah, put it right in the eye. And I see this and I go, children, what, what are you doing? That, 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 that's not, don't use a flashlight like that. You're going to hurt their eyes. You're going to hurt them. Then I realize light can lead us to good things and we could use our light in bad ways. And here's the challenge. It's very easy for Christians to use their light in dark ways. And whenever we use our light to expose others for the sake of condemnation and judgment, and Christians are really good at this, we love to point out what everybody else is doing wrong. And we love to shine a light on the wickedness and corruption of the world. And certainly there's a place to shine the light on the injustice that takes place and all that. But often we just shine it in a way that makes us feel better about ourselves. And we, we want to shed light on what other people are doing wrong. And Jesus says essentially the light that we shine is not to condemn and judge others. The light we shine is to shine light on the goodness of the Father. The light we shine is to spotlight the Father, not to condemn and judge others. And Jesus says it this way. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, the reason you are light is very simple. It's not to bring attention to yourself. It's to bring attention to God. So that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The, the goal in life for all of us is very simple. Is my life glorifying God? That's the simple question. You, you want to reduce Christianity to a question, to a statement. Is my life glorifying God? At work, is my work glorifying God? Is my parenting glorifying God? Is my marriage glorifying God? This is the invitation. You are salt. You are light. And the ver our very existence is one that brings glory to God. So Jesus says, let them see your good deeds and let them glorify your Father in heaven. Now, in the coming weeks, I'm going to get more practical about what it means to glorify the Father and what it means to be salt and light as we go in more and more into the Sermon on the Mount. But let me just close with this before we take communion. The question is, why does Jesus say use salt and light? And I think it's very simple. The reason why he uses salt and light is because God is salt and light. God is the salt that preserves our life from decay. God is the salt that preserves our lives from corruption. God is the light that leads us and guides us in our way. The question about our lives is, are we allowing ourselves to be salted by God? That's the question. Is there enough time that we're with God? That, that's what prayer is. You know what, you know what prayer is? The other day, I, I, yesterday I made some pork chops. 
and the pork chops, they were there, and I, and I, took, up, I took out some salt and some pepper and some sazon and all that there. And, and if this was a sermon in a predominantly Latino community, Jesus would say, you are the sazon of the earth, you know? And, 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 and I, was, I was just going for it. I was going for it. Now, behind the back there, just, just going for it. And you know what the pork chops did? It just stood there. Never did the pork chops, that's enough. No, thank God it didn't do that. You know, just, just, it, it just stood there being salted. And I thought, as I am seasoning this, these pork chops, I thought, oh, what a picture of spirituality. What a picture of relationship with God. That our role as followers of Jesus is to allow ourselves to be salted by God. How can you be salt of, of the earth if you don't allow yourself to truly be salted by God? How can you preserve the world and work against the decay of the world if you don't allow God to salt you and to cover you? That, this is what prayer is. When, when you pray this week, you're saying, Lord, salt me. May, may I be the salt of the earth. When you read the Bible, you're saying, Lord, you are my light. Lead me. Your word, your word, your word is a light unto my path. Your word is, Lord, would you lead me in the way that we go? The question is, are we being salted by God? And the other question is, are we leading our own way? Is God lighting the way for us? Or are we choosing the way on our own? Salt and light ultimately are, are words of obedience, words of receiving, words of worship, words of being. Where we say, Lord... I want to be who you called me to be. And Jesus says, will you allow yourselves to be salted by me? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. God looks at everyone in this room, those of you watching online, and he says, you have much more to offer because you are more valuable than you can ever imagine. Let's pray together. I want to invite those who are going to be offering communion to come to the tables. We're ending in a, in a great way with communion. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I wonder today, are you allowing yourself to truly live into that reality that you are salt? Maybe God has allowed you to go through a dark season and yet he says you are lights difficult circumstances and you wonder how do I respond to this and Jesus gives us words of affirmation today you are salt you have more power and authority than you think you are light and ultimately God says I will preserve you I will light your way Maybe there's a circumstance in front of you today and all you see is decay. All you see is things going in the wrong direction. I just want you to remind yourself today and hear the words, you are, you are the salt of the earth. God has given you power and authority to work against decay and corruption. You are light. 
God says, I've given you my light. And it's in that spirit where we take communion together, where we go, we, we, we focus on the extent to which God went to be salt and light for us, preserving our lives through the cross, leading our lives through his resurrection. Jesus is our salt. Jesus is our light. And so, Lord, as we prepare to come to the table, thank you for your grace and the way you preserve us. When we don't think we can go any further, you hold us together, Lord. You preserve our lives. And Lord, when we're lost, you light our way. And so Holy Spirit, as we prepare to take communion, may we be reminded of your love, of the grace of Jesus, that he is our salt and our light. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said,